Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our triune and unchanging God. Amen. Today we continue our journey through Mark chapter 6 and our sermon series for the month of July called Meet Jesus, Our Unchanging God. And this, of course, is going to tie in with our theme for the whole year here at Christ our King, changing world, unchanging God. We know that this world and things in this world do change, but most importantly, we know our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is unchanging. Now, if you happen to miss last week's sermon when we started this series, I know it was a holiday weekend. I do invite you to go out to our website or our YouTube channel or listen to the sermon as a podcast. But last week we did hear as people met and interacted with Jesus and his disciples. And and we focused on the fact that Jesus is much more than a carpenter's son as his hometown thought about him. Jesus came indeed as the, the Savior and the Son of God. But still some refused to believe in him. And so Jesus, undeterred by that, continued to proclaim the good news that he himself was bringing to the world. And then he equipped his disciples also to go out two by two and proclaim the same. And that leads us then right into today's reading, which I will admit is perhaps the strangest week in our series, because this week we hear the unusual and sordid story of King Herod and John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus is hardly even mentioned in our gospel reading. I don't know if you you noticed that, and, and maybe you're thinking, well, you know, Pastor, in a series called Meet Jesus, it might be helpful if Jesus actually shows up in the gospel reading. But as we'll find out, this passage about a prophet and a king is about Jesus because he gives us the opportunity to meet him and to know him as the greater prophet and the greater king. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to Mark chapter 6, where we are as we go through this section together. And we begin in verse 14. And there we find actually a connection to where we left off last week. It says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. So there's two things there, King Herod and what he heard. Let's start with King Herod. This, by the way, just to be clear, is not the same Herod who tried to kill Jesus as a newborn baby, who killed all the children in Bethlehem when Jesus was young, trying to protect his throne. That was Herod the Great. This is now his son, whose name was Herod Antipas. After Herod the Great's death, Rome decided to divide up his kingdom into four different parts. And therefore, this Herod, Herod Antipas, was given the province of Galilee. And that's where Jesus was conducting his ministry. And so King Herod hears about Jesus. That tells us something about how well known Jesus was getting by this time. That on account of his message and his miracles and his sending out of the disciples, like we heard last week, Jesus is beginning to go viral, as they say. 
So much so that it reaches all the way to the top. It reaches the ears of of Herod. and, And then that causes something to stir within him. It stirs up questions and and wonderings and even some guilty feelings. You see, Jesus had been the topic of conversation. People were trying to figure out who he was and, and how he could do all these amazing things that he was doing. Some said that he's John the Baptist. Others were saying he's Elijah. Others were saying he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And from that point on, we get this flashback in Herod's mind, like one of those shimmery scenes you see in a movie where you get the information of what had happened before. And and so we get that information in this case, and what we find is it's not good. John had been imprisoned by Herod because he had spoken out against a a particular public sin of Herod's. Herod had unlawfully married his brother Philip's wife, and her name was Herodias. And so John, speaking God's clear word to Herod, he condemned this sin, and unsurprisingly, he drew the ire of Herodias for doing so. And that's why Herod threw John in jail, hoping that it would appease his wife and keep his own guilty conscience at bay. Now, what's interesting is is the interactions that Herod and John have while John is in prison. Herodias, if she had her way, would have had John killed right then and there, but Herod kept him safe. And if you look at verse 20, it explains why. Herod feared John. He knew enough about John to know that he was a righteous and holy man sent from God, and Herod would go to John and listen to him in prison, and it perplexed him, and it even at times brought him Joy, Scripture said. Talk about confusing. But still, all that wouldn't be enough to spare John's life. And Mark explains why. On one of Herod's birthdays, he he threw a banquet for all these important people, these leaders and military commanders. And Herodias' daughter was chosen as the entertainment for that day. And and King Herod was so pleased with her that in a moment of of bravado, in a moment of probably uh, impulsive benevolence, he declares, ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. Well, this was just the opportunity that Herodias had been looking for. The dutiful daughter immediately went to her mother to determine what she should ask for. And so the answer came back, the head of John the Baptist. And the girl even adds, on a platter. And the king immediately regretted this when he heard this, and he was exceedingly sorry. But you see, this is where Herod has a choice. He has a choice. What kind of king was he going to be? Was he going to be the kind of king who would spare this prophet, this this one sent from God, this one who perplexed him and even brought him joy because he spoke God's word? Or would Herod be the kind of king who would get lost in his own fear and sinfulness and attempt to, to do anything it took to spare his own position, his own reputation, his own power? Well, Herod makes his choice. He didn't want to look weak in front of his guests, and so he sends the executioner 
to bring him John's head. And he gave it to the girl who gave it to her mother. And John's disciples, it says, sorrowfully retrieved his body and then laid it in a tomb. And and we're left at the end of this grotesque story as we hear it being read in church as our gospel reading. And we hear Pastor Tom say, this is the gospel of the Lord. And we may be thinking to ourselves, really, this is the gospel? This is the good news from God? Like I said before, this passage is strange and it is sordid. And one might even wonder if it's even appropriate to be read in church. What is all this about anyway? But you see, this reading began with King Herod and his guilty conscience. What caused him to be afraid was that John was somehow raised from the dead. And if he was raised from the dead, then he'd probably be coming for for him. Herod thinks about all this when he hears about Jesus. This Jesus who was some kind of prophet and some kind of king who had begun his work in this world. And so the first thing that we need to recognize is that this account of of Herod and John, well, it isn't meant to be pretty. Instead, it reveals quite clearly the kind of world that we live in. Not Not a beautified, cleaned up, and polished world. Not a world that is edited and filtered for posting on social media. Not a world whose rough edges have been sanded down so we can include it in polite conversation. No, this is a picture, a true picture, of the true reality of our world, which is filled with real people and real problems and real sin. And in the midst of this kind of messy and even sometimes deadly world, we see Jesus doing his work. Jesus entered this sin-darkened world precisely so that he might begin to work his redemption in the middle of it all. This account from Mark chapter 6 about a prophet and a king is indeed about Jesus Christ because through it, Jesus shows himself to be the greater prophet and the greater king. Let's look at King Herod for a moment. We see what kind of king Herod chose to be. He was selfish and gross and even deadly. Herod was always reacting out of fear, it seems. You see, he feared the repercussions from his wife, and that's why he he imprisoned John in the first place. He feared what his guests would think if he broke his promise to this girl. He feared that John had somehow come back from the dead when he heard about Jesus. And so when confronted with the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, he couldn't help but show himself to be a king who lived in guilt and fear. But this is our reality as well. When we are confronted with the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it can also awaken within us guilt of real sin and real fear in the lives of real people. You know, sometimes we have the tendency to want to distance our faith from our lives. Like our faith doesn't have anything to do with our day-to-day living. We can easily make Christianity simply a a teaching that we agree to or a, a confirmation class that we get through. 
But we forget that the reason why Jesus came into this world was to save us from the horrible reality that sin had plunged us into. That without Jesus, our lives would be full of fear and guilt and death. Just like Herod's. Herod's life was full of astonishing sin. But let us not forget, so is yours. And so is mine. In fact, apart from Christ, there would be no end to the evil that we would do. We cannot sugarcoat the reason that we needed a Savior in the first place. We were dying in our sin. And without Christ, we would be forever dead. And even now, while we are living in our faith in Christ, we still struggle and fall. And that's why we're here in church. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to receive some facts about Jesus. We're here because we absolutely need to be. We are real sinners in need of real saving. We need our sins forgiven. It's a must. And thanks be to God. That's exactly what we find here. We find the forgiveness proclaimed to you and the life freely given to you. True Christianity, that is a a life that expresses true and real faith, is not a life full of these separate silos where we have our church life over here and and our faith over here and our real life over here. No, it's not that at all. A life that expresses true and real faith is a life that does experience the sorrows of this world and the sorrows of our own sin and failures. But it's also one that experiences real joy when we receive that free gift of forgiveness and love at the hand of Jesus. He came to save sinful people like you and me. That's the kind of king we have. He is the greater king who came to forgive the real sins of real people in this real and messed up world that we live in. Which brings us to our next point, which is that Jesus did all this by choosing to humble himself in weakness and shame, much like we see with John the Baptist. You see, not only are we meant to compare Jesus to Herod, seeing Jesus as the greater king, but the gospel writer Mark is also purposely comparing Jesus to the prophet John as well. And what we find is that once again, Jesus is the one who is greater. Now, John was great. Let's be clear about that. He was the last of the line of Old Testament prophets. And he alone had the incredible and distinct honor of being able to see the one to whom all the prophets of the Old Testament were anticipating for thousands of years. John saw with his own eyes the Savior arrive. He saw Jesus walking toward him. And so he points to Jesus and he says to everyone, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, when he was talking about John, he said this. He said, among those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Those are some powerful words. And yet, even John was subject to a life of suffering and being arrested 
and then dying at the whim of jealous people and at the hand of an indignant ruler. He was brutalized and humiliated and then buried in a tomb by his disciples. And I think we're meant to ask, well, doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus is the Son of God, the one to whom all glory and honor and praise is rightfully owed forever and ever, and yet Jesus was treated in the same way as John. John's death was a foreshadowing of what Jesus himself would endure, except there was one important difference. Do you remember when Herod heard about Jesus, he was convinced that it was John the Baptist raised from the dead? Well, it wasn't. It was Jesus. John's body was still in the tomb. But when Jesus was crucified and killed and buried, his body did not stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rose again. John's death did, in fact, point forward to the one who was greater than himself, the one who would then go on to defeat death on his behalf and on behalf of all those who believe in Jesus. You see, Jesus offered himself as the payment for our sins, even though he himself was sinless. And that's why his sacrifice was of immeasurable worth in the eyes of the Father. Jesus endured the punishment for our sin so that we would never have to. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in place of our sin, he gives us life. Jesus is greater than John. He is the greater prophet and he is the greater king. He is the savior who has established a kingdom that neither sin nor death can ever touch. They are defeated. And all that remains is the life that Jesus freely gives. And you have been given that life. It is already in you. The new life that is now yours because you have been made a part of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. And so has everyone who has been baptized and believes in his name. And together we are looking forward to the day when we will see fully and finally what that life will be like in eternity when we are with him, when we are raised from the dead just as he was raised. And until that day, Jesus calls us to be his disciples in this world. He calls us to be on mission with him and for him. And we know and we are reminded like from people like John that this will not be an easy calling. In fact, it can be quite difficult. It is often messy and dangerous, filled with real people and real problems, and it can even be deadly. Jesus called his disciples and he calls us to follow him into a life with him, but not a life that avoids the cross. Jesus calls us into a life that goes directly through the cross. But because of his death and resurrection, we know that a life spent under the cross is a life that means eternity with him. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would want to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
will find it. John the Baptist knew this life under the cross. The disciples knew it as well, and today so do we. Like all of them, we also have met Jesus. He has come to us, he has given us his eternal life, and therefore we are able to live with him in this world, knowing how this world truly is. It is full of sin and sorrow and death. But, and that's why I loved his answer during our children's message today, we have been given hope in the midst of it all. We have the hope of eternal life because we know Jesus. We know the one who brings life. We know the one who brings the forgiveness of sins. We know the one who is the greater prophet and the greater king. We know Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Oh,